This week at church, Pastor Robin McKinley finishes up his AD series with The First Roman Pygmy. You can join us every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for free coffee, free baked goods, a worship service, and a sermon to follow. The church is located by the Coventry Mall on Laurelwood Road. A.D., the final uh, lesson. We're in chapter 10 this morning in the book of Acts. A remarkable event takes place that pertains to just about everybody in this room, probably 99% of us, if not 100%. The event should be appreciated by the entire church because at this moment, something takes place for the very first time that has affected our destiny. It was a game changer. In Acts chapter 10, we find the very moment the barrier between the Jew and the Gentile collapsed. It's like the Berlin Wall of the Bible, only this is a bigger event. Because at this point in the biblical history, we are grafted into God's family tree. The moment that Cornelius, a Roman officer, believed the gospel and accepted Christ as his Savior. See, prior to this, the Jews were center stage. Cornelius is the first Gentile representing all of us who is granted eternal life. Here's what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. Because of their transgression talking about the Jewish people, salvation has come to the Gentiles. What grace. What a gift. What privilege we have. What happens here in Caesarea is a little hard for us to relate to here in the 21st century, but just put your mind over in the Middle East right now and think of the conflict that goes on between the Arabs and the Jews at at this particular time. And that gives you a glimpse of the Jews and the Gentiles. This intense enmity in the first century affected everybody. So to be including the Gentiles in God's elect was like an earthquake reaching 10 on the biblical Richter scale. Peter is the key figure in the book of Acts, the one with the keys to the kingdom, keys to the kingdom that would unlock the church for a whole new segment of the world. Just as he did on the day of Pentecost when he preached a message after the Holy Spirit came and baptized them. Later, he was with the Samaritans, the half-breeds, if you will. Now God wants to include the Gentiles. So let's take a look at Acts chapter 10. I'm going to look at some bullet points here, so you you can follow along in your Bible if you want, or you can follow along on the uh, screens. At Caesarea, there was a man called Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. 
Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to the earth by its four corners. It contained all kind of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then the voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. Well, Peter goes along with him, and we're continuing now further down in the chapter, and I'm sorry, I don't have verses written in my notes here. Peter went inside and said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anything, anyone, impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. Cornelius said, we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. What a story. What a story. Can you imagine what the people thought when they heard this? I mean, here's what Paul described for us in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has, de and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. God had this planned out all along to make his salvation available to everyone. In Galatians chapter 3, we're told there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is neither male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So what can we take away from this fabulous story? I mean, there's a lot going on here. But let's focus on two things, and I'm starting with your notes now, if you're following with your notes. The first is divine appointments. 
we see this, uh, uh, what we see is in this meeting is a divinely directed encounter. It's clearly God-ordained. I mean, before Peter or Cornelius was born, God knew this was going to happen. He knew this was going to be according to his perfect will. It was a divine appointment. I mean, they didn't get together and one of them say, you know something, I think God is saying this to me. And someone else is saying, well, I don't know if that's really God saying that to you or maybe you're just thinking. No, it's nothing like that. God spoke to Cornelius and sent for Peter by name. And God spoke to Peter and spoke to him by a gentle, uh, spoke to him as going to the Gentiles. It was a divine appointment. And it was a divine appointment to lead a man and his household, a man who was devout and who sought after God. Now, this meeting was extra special. As we've already said, it opened the gospel to the Gentiles. But it's something we can pray for in our own lives too. As we ask God to use us in the same way. I mean, have you ever asked God for a divine appointment? Think about that. Have you ever asked God for a divine appointment? Maybe it's time that you do. Maybe it's time that you do ask God. I mean, there are other devout people that we probably rub shoulders with, just like Cornelius. Cornelius didn't know Jesus. And you're probably rubbing shoulders with people who don't know Jesus, who have a heart for God and his work. Hey, that was me as I was growing up. I was in church all the time. I'm talking about all the time. I knew the name of Jesus, but I didn't know I had to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Not until I was a younger teenager. Somebody finally told me I needed to have Jesus as my personal Savior. I knew all the Bible stories. So what? It was until that day that I saw Jesus. And I knew that I had to call him into my heart. Somebody had a divine appointment and brought me to him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Or I'd have just been a good church-going person. I'd have still been a good church-going person if I wouldn't have been directed to Jesus. So why not ask God each morning to bring a person, could be the same person, bring that person to me, Lord, the one I'm asking for a divine appointment for. Bring that person to me. How would that affect your friendliness to strangers? You know, I've, I've heard people say, well, you got to watch how you act because there's angels that we have encounters with and, you know, we don't know when we're going to be talking to an angel. Forget the angels, okay? Just forget the angels. It's the people that you have an encounter with. You, you rub shoulders with. Do you know statistics say that people outside of the church, they can handle Jesus, but they can't handle the Christians. I think we need to change that, friends. 
We need to change that and ask God to give us divine appointments. And when we ask God to give us divine appointments, then maybe we'll be more conscious the way that we treat other people. Hallelujah. If you knew God was lining up divine appointments for you, wow, you'd hone in your spiritual radar, wouldn't you? Here's what Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2. For we are God's handiwork. Listen to this. We are God's handiwork, created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Wow. Well, the second point here is, we not only want divine appointments, but we need to be prepared to give an account. You see, the second point addresses a common complaint against God that unbelievers throw out all the time. And here's what they say. What about the pygmies in Africa? Don't they? Sure. How can God throw them all in hell when they've never even heard about Jesus? They've never heard about the gospel. They've never heard about the Bible. Do you know what the accusation really is that they're saying? They're saying God's partial. They're saying he plays favorites. They're saying that some are set up to lose and he'll unfairly throw them into hell. Well, we clearly see an example here of a foreigner who came to Christ in a miraculous fashion. An Italian soldier whose circumstances brought him to Israel and he who believed the gospel. You see, sometimes this question is a smokescreen. A smokescreen to get the heat off the person you're talking to so that they don't have to be confronted with the gospel. I mean, you can tell them, uh, but uh, most of the time it's just an excuse not to bend their knee to Jesus. So let's answer the objection. So the next time you're sharing the gospel in your divine appointment, you will be prepared to give an answer. Now remember, to always bring them back to their responsibility to make a decision for Jesus. You see, perhaps something like well, the pygmies are just a hypothetical situation. But for you, right now, today, you've heard the gospel. Today, you have enough information to make a decision. Is there a reason you wouldn't want to trust Christ today? But let's consider these folks in the deepest, darkest parts of Africa, who have no Bible, who have no church, who have no evangelist. They have nothing. First of all, I, I, I just want to tell you how things work, okay? Somebody generations ago, for everybody on the face of the earth, for you, for me, for the person in the deepest uh, forest of Africa, 
everybody, generations before them, has known about God. Everybody has. You see, we can take it back to Adam and Eve, or we can take it back to Noah. We can take it back to as far as we want to go. Somebody in their family line, somebody in their genealogy, uh, whatever it's called, um, path backwards, decided we're not going to follow Jesus anymore or the Lord anymore. We're not going to acknowledge God. In fact, we'll just make up our own gods. Now, I'm making it sound pretty simple, but this is the way it's happened, okay? And where they're at today is why we have missionaries that go around the world to preach the gospel because of somebody way back when. So if we want to hurl anything at anybody, let's hurl it at their great, 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 great grandpa who decided to worship the sun instead of, and I'm talking about the S-U-N, instead of God. So how can they be saved? How can God be righteous to throw them into hell? Now you could say, well, if God really cares for these folks, then why don't you get saved since they're heavy on your heart and why don't you go and share the gospel with them? I mean, they might think that you're a smart aleck, but that's the way it happens. And you know, I'm being a little facetious here. But they're the ones making the excuse. So let's examine this question. First of all, God doesn't throw anybody into hell. God doesn't throw anybody into hell. He lovingly, lovingly made a bloody bridge with huge guardrails by his son's death on the cross to get us all over hell's chasm. We choose to jump off his bridge. God does not throw anybody off the bridge. Think about it like training children. Let's give them three rules that would warrant discipline if they violate them. It's the same thing with God. He has laid out rules, and we have broken them. But in his extreme mercy, he has given us another chance, a second chance. But we've got to take that chance. If we don't, there will be discipline. And he's not choosing it. We're choosing it. We're the ones who will be marked guilty. So what about these folks in the backwoods of Africa? Let's establish that we know from the Bible, and the Bible's a powerful weapon, even if they say they don't believe that... Let me get my notes straight here. Even if they say... They don't believe. What if I pointed a loaded gun at you and told you there's deadly force behind my gun? And you say, I don't believe that. I don't believe that there's deadly force behind your gun. Whether you believe it or not, if I pull the trigger, you're gone. There's deadly force behind that gun. Whether you believe it or not. So these folks, they might say, I don't believe that. Whether they believe it or not, Jesus has the power of the resurrection. 
So here's what we know about the Bible. Here's what we know about biblically, biblical truth about God, about God's salvation provision. And did I put these in your notes? I was going to. Yeah, good. You can follow right along with your notes there. God is just and fair. God does not show favoritism. He promises to be found by seekers. God wants everybody to be saved. God loves you. God's creation is proof that he exists. God gave everyone a conscience. All we know, uh, we all know we're guilty of doing wrong. We have some degree of light. From these truths, we can establish that God is fair and has promised that he will make himself found by anyone who seeks him, whether it's folks in the back jungle of Africa who maybe finds a plane crash with missionaries in it and Bibles, or in Caesarea when Cornelius has a vision. God will find a way to get the gospel to truth seekers. He will find a way. God sees every single person on the earth. God knows every single heart of every person on the earth and with immense love longs for them to be saved. Furthermore, everyone knows God's, God exists just through creation. We all see the stars at night. We all see the delicate wings of the dragonfly as it pushes through the breeze during the day. And we've all seen the miracle of birth. We are without excuse because God has advertised his work all over the world. God is not far from any of us, whether in the jungles of Africa, whether in Caesarea or Tibet, nobody has an excuse. God is here. So let's bring this to a close this morning. Pray for divine appointments. Ask God to bring you sovereignly into relationships at work, at school, in your neighborhood, where you can share the gospel with genuine seekers. And I want to tell you, how does God work? God will save a, a young man, a young boy, and years later, he'll bring thousands and thousands of people to a Billy Graham crusade. God will save a young boy or a young lady and send them into the middle of China, in the middle of a communist, government-run society, and hundreds of underground churches will start. Millions of souls will come to know Jesus. God will speak to you, give you a divine appointment to speak to someone, and that someone could be headed to Africa to minister to tribes that know nothing about the name of Jesus and whole tribes can come to know Jesus as Savior. 
You see, divine appointments are wonderful. You know why they're wonderful? They're divine. Hallelujah. But also be prepared to give an account. Be prepared to turn somebody's questions to themselves. Say, hey, this is your opportunity to receive the Lord. We can talk about other people, but let's talk about you right now. And bring them to an account. Here's what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So ask God to give you divine appointments to share the gospel with people whose lives he has been preparing already. He's already been churning up their heart soil to make it ready for planting the gospel seed, a seed that you will plant. Will you do that? Will you ask God for opportunities to share his good news with a Cornelius, someone who is waiting for Peter to come to answer his questions? I hope you'll do that. I hope you'll be ready and prepared to answer their questions. Remember, it's okay not to know the answer to every question. You don't have to come up with an answer. You don't have to make up an answer. You just be honest with someone and say, you know something? I don't know. I don't know. We were in a Sunday school class in Brevard, North Carolina years ago. The pastor was teaching the class and there was an accident that uh, some young people were killed in the accident that week. And the question was asked, why did that happen? Why did that happen? And some of the people in the class, they, they gave some answers. Well, you know, maybe God ordained that person to die that particular moment. Or this happened, that happened. And the pastor looked at him and says, you know, it's okay to say, I don't know. And we, he didn't know. We don't know. There's things that we just don't know. Just be honest. If you can find an answer, find an answer. And then get back with them. But this morning, I'd like for us to pray for divine appointments. Don't pray for one for me. Pray for one for you, okay? Pray that God would bring you in contact with someone who has been seeking them and you get to be the person who talks to them about the salvation of Jesus.